Amen. What a great reminder. He will hold us fast. In our evening series, we've been looking at a number of different psalms and going in no particular order. We've just been kind of meandering at different uh, psalms, kind of focusing on psalms of David and specifically going through times in David's life where he was down when he was feeling discouraged and found comfort in the Lord. And tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 142. Psalm 142 in your Bibles this evening as we look at a time in David's life where he was particularly discouraged but needed a reminder as we just sang that God would still hold him fast. Psalm 142, I've titled my message tonight, Crying out to God when the walls are closing in. Crying out to God when the walls are closing in. Psalm 142. In Greek mythology, we read about a great warrior named Achilles. He was the bravest, he was the greatest warrior in the Trojan War. And it was believed that the way that he got his strength was that he, as a child, was actually dipped into waters of a mystical river by which he became almost invincible except for the part of his heel where he was essentially believed to have been held onto by his mother as she was dipping him in. So the rest of his body was basically invincible, but the small portion on the back of his heel was the one spot that he didn't receive that power. Uh, today we speak of someone's Achilles heel as being their obvious weak spot, that area where they are most vulnerable. Uh, and everyone has a weak spot. As strong as you are, as, as powerful as you may think you are, everyone has a spot or an area where we're vulnerable. And for some of us, it's not necessarily anything physical, but some of us, that's, that's something that's, that's just a part of us, uh, maybe a, a relation that we have. Uh, for many people, that is our children. Uh, we would be willing to endure any sort of personal injury if we could prevent our children from having to endure it. A parent's love is so deep-rooted for their children that they, you ask any parent, they would gladly die for their children. We have the same feelings when it comes to our spouse. And in many ways, the love that we may have for our spouse is even greater than what we have for our children. But whether it's a children, whether, whether it's children, whether it's a spouse, a brother, a sister, a relative, a friend of any, any capacity, uh, maybe not even a person at all, we all have an Achilles heel. We all have some area where we are vulnerable, some area where the feeling of being strong enough, the feeling of being capable enough seems to fade. We all get to a point where we come to the end of ourselves and feel weak and feel helpless. It's an uncomfortable feeling to get there. Because there's nothing you can do, even though you wish you could do something. Uh, you feel out of sorts because every other area seems to be something that you can manage, something that you almost feel to have some control over. But this one thing, this one area, always seems to almost keep you humble and have you feeling like your hands are tied behind your back because as much as you want to do something, it almost feels like you can't reach far enough or you can't do anything strong enough to accomplish what needs to get accomplished. And this can be extremely discouraging, and it can lead many people into bouts of deep depression. 
Charles Spurgeon, who dealt with significant depression, had this to say, fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, and the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, but surely the rust frets even these. Some people are able to put on the brave face. They're able to hide to most everyone around them about the inner turmoil that is just plaguing them. But eventually it's going to hit them and it's going to be un impossible for them to hide it. It doesn't matter how strong you are, it is going to hit all of us at some point. And the psalm that we're looking at here this evening, Psalm 142, was written during a time in the life of David. And we know David to be this great man of valor, strong and mighty in, in battle, great king, great leader for his nation. And as we've surveyed some of the psalms of David, we've mentioned that he had to deal with all the power that he had, with all the, the prestige that came with it, he had to deal with a lot of heartache. He spent a good portion of his life, as we've talked about, on the run as a fugitive from King Saul. It was very discouraging for him. He knew, as he knew that he was anointed to be king, but he often questioned what God's plan was as he went 15 years from the day he was anointed to when he actually became king, wondering if God had made a mistake, if God had underestimated how fearful and how powerful King Saul was, or maybe God's plan fell through. He had wondered all of this. David struggled to understand what God was doing, and it didn't help that he was constantly threatened. And everywhere he went, he was outnumbered, and he was without the support of anything close to the manpower of his enemy and the resources that King Saul had at his disposal. And as we look here at Psalm 142, we find that David has finally, at least as he believes, he's finally found a place of refuge here in the cave of Adullam. He's been running and fleeing and finally seems to find a place where he can rest and just find a little bit of security. In the midst of this, he comes to the place called the Cave of Adullam. He's able to finally shelter in this cave and, and pours his heart out to God, at least whatever's left of his heart to God. And as much as the cave is a place of refuge, it's also a place where he feels lost and alone. He feels far away from God, and although he isn't immediately fearful of an attack from the enemy, he is afraid that God has forgotten him. There are times where we cry out to God and we wonder how it is that things have come to the point where they are in our lives. We struggle for answers. We, we think, you know, why me? Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening now? Of all the times for this to happen, you, maybe you think that there are other times where you were more together and you had more control and more power, more confidence in your life where you felt that if God was going to send you a challenge, that would have been the time to, to have it come because you were more capable in your own mind to face those challenges that would have come. Instead, when you feel weak and already vulnerable, it seems that God is just piling on the trouble. And so you're asking, why me? Why now? What did I do to deserve this? What is the reason that I'm going through all of this and having to deal with this even at this moment? And sometimes we struggle for answers, but the cave we're in responds with nothing but silence. 
And this is why looking at the life of David, I find is very, is very encouraging because no matter what you're going through, inevitably, we're going to cover something in the life of David that is going to speak directly to you. You're going to realize that you're not the only one that has experienced what you're experiencing right now or what you just experienced or what is going to be experienced by you around the corner. Even if the, and, and, and honestly, it can, it can be difficult when you're in the middle of something to get advice and to get counsel from people who have no idea what you're going through. I, I find it difficult to do that when you can't relate, when you can't understand the feelings that other people are, are experiencing and you try your best to give them advice, but everything seems to fall short because you can't put yourself in their shoes and know what they've been through without actually having gone through it yourself. And so even though some people may give, give good advice and try and help out, it seems to just not be enough. And even if the counsel is good, you almost want to respond to people like that by saying, no offense. I appreciate all that you have to say, but until you've been where I am or where I've been and experienced what I've experienced, you really don't know the best course of action that I need. Whenever I, I'm dealing with a problem, I know that I can start reading the Bible and eventually find something that relates perfectly with what I'm dealing with and find the wisdom that I need to help me through. And that's why we have every reason to praise the Lord for giving us his word because it's not just something that we're supposed to open up and read on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it's something that should be part of our lives every single day. It's there for our benefit, not just to check off a list and say, well, I read the one chapter a day and I don't have to look at the Bible again until tomorrow. It's something that is there to help us and to encourage us through the ups and downs of life. It is so comforting to be able to look at the life of David and know that some of the feelings that he felt and the experiences that he had are things that we share with him today. In many ways, the Psalms are like David's journals that we get to read. And he's chronicled different things over the course of his life and, and just written down how he's felt. And I, I love reading the Psalms because sometimes at the beginning of the Psalm, you, you get this one picture of David and it ends on a completely different note. And if you read the first verse and the last verse, you're probably thinking, what in the world happened in between this? Because he was crying and fearful that God had forgotten him at the beginning. And the end, he's closing with, you have dealt so bad with me and you're thinking something doesn't add up in between but it's it's so encouraging to see that because is that not every one of us is that not almost every day in the life of any believer that from moment to moment we have highs and we have lows and it's never just you know one, one straight line that we're walking where everything is just perfect and smooth sailing it is up it is down you go from being happy to being sad and just this wave of emotions that are coming and going and and that's why i love looking at the psalms because it's so real you're seeing a real human being you're seeing him in some of the most difficult circumstances that a human being can go through and god has recorded it all for our benefit so that we even in our times of trouble may be able to open it up and see you know what there was someone else who's gone through something similar to me. You may not be able to look at every detail and say, that's exactly what I've been through, but you can look at it and say, he was discouraged because he felt alone and that's exactly where I am right now. How did he get through it? And you read through the rest of the Psalm and you find, okay, he started looking at God and recognizing the creator that he is and the power that he's shown and how he's shown himself faithful time and time again in his past and it gets you start focusing on other aspects of God and how great he's been. 
And before you know it, you're closing your own quiet time with God, praising him for how he's dealt bountifully with you as well. So praise the Lord for how we can learn and grow from what God has given to us in his word. I think in, in the Psalms, we get a map of David's life and how he handled life's challenges through the power of God. And better than that, we learn from the example how we can find comfort and peace in the Lord when the walls seem to be closing in. Now, I mentioned that Psalm 142 was written during David's life when he was in the cave of Adullam. Now, the story is told for us back in 1 Samuel chapter 22. I want you to listen to what we read in the first two verses of 1 Samuel 22 as we set the context for what we're going to see here in Psalm 142. 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this. It says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. So the cave that David first went to was supposed to be a place of refuge for David and just David. But that wouldn't end up being the case. God would ultimately show that David's refuge in this discouraging time was not going to be this place, this cave, but it would actually be God. Now, as David camped out in this cave, he's already discouraged, and we'll get to the context as to why he is discouraged in a moment. But he's discouraged. He is miserable over his condition. And all of a sudden, he gets a whole bunch of house guests. He has this cave all to himself. And the Bible says, then came 400 men when they heard that he was there to be his house guest. If there was a door at the entrance of this cave, David wouldn't have been able to shut it because it was a revolving door. He wasn't going to be able to say, all right, this is my cave, go find your own. This is my place where I'm going to get some refuge and time alone because I'm going through something right now. Go somewhere else. It was a revolving door if there was any door at all. You ever tried to slam a revolving door? Doesn't work, does it? People just kept coming. 400, the Bible says. It was almost as if an invitation was, was sent out for everyone who was discouraged, depressed, despaired, everyone to come and to gather at the cave of Adullam. Now again, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, it says, when his brethren and all his fathers house heard it they went down thither to him and i love what it says again in verse two it says and everyone that was in distress everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented just the house guests you want to have right you're already feeling miserable he's already just down in the dumps and everyone else who's feeling the same way hey david's over there in the cave of agile let's let's go and hang out with him too and they all pour into this cave where he's supposed to be just by himself 
alone with just him, his own thoughts. Maybe he's going to cry out to God just by himself. And all of a sudden, one person comes in, two people come in, three people come in, four people come in, and they just keep coming and coming and coming until 400 men show up. And none of them are there who are excited to be there. They're thrilled to be there. They're all grumbling. They're all complaining. They're dragging their feet. They're hanging their heads. They're telling about this problem they have and this other problem they have. And David is probably thinking, are you kidding me right now? This was supposed to be a nice and quiet place for me and me alone to be with God and to pour out my problems to him. And now there's 400 other problems that have come and just piled on to what I'm dealing with. But David sent out the invitation, right? He sent out an invitation and said, everyone who's got problems, please come and join me. No, he didn't do any of that. Now, I know that we often say that misery loves company. But sometimes, misery just loves to be alone. But that was not going to be the case for David. All of these 400 men, they all show up, and they're all frustrated for something. And majority of them are frustrated with King Saul. They're distressed, the Bible says. They're in debt, and they're discontented. The same people who begged God to give them a king, and God said, if I do this, you're going to be like everyone else. You're going to have to deal with all the problems that a king is going to bring. We want the king. God, give us the king. Okay. The same people who were begging God for a king were now infuriated with that same king. So be careful what you wish for. Now, I'm sure that some of these 400 men were people that David was probably glad to see. But these weren't men that he had called for. He didn't go to the cave and then send a, a telegram or a carrier pigeon out and say, listen, I need some support system. Could you bring a handful of men to come and just encourage me and to help me out with this problem I'm dealing with? He didn't do any of that. But they showed up anyways, and in a roundabout way, they came to support David. In fact, the very next chapter... And 1 Samuel 23 tells us that the number would grow from 400 to 600. Now, needless to say, this was no tiny little one-person cave. This was a massive cavern. So here is David in the middle of this massive cavern, which he originally had all to himself. And now he's surrounded by a crowd of people. And these people, are again, are not the most pleasant people in the moment. They're all upset about a number of different issues, all of which probably have their root in King Saul, which is maybe the one common element that they have. But they're at least willing, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, to rally behind David and to make him the captain over them. But David isn't in the right frame of mind just yet. He's still discouraged. He's still dealing with this own issue that he has, and now the situation has just become that much more difficult because he has no privacy. It wasn't just for safety that he sought out that cave. It was also a place of solitude, and now that's gone. Now, I can't even imagine what David must have been thinking at that time. He probably tried to find some quiet corner in the cavern all by himself where he could only hear his own thoughts and drown out all the commotion from the 400 other unwanted occupants who recently showed up, David, being the emotional person, person that he is, probably needed just a little space to himself where he would feel like he could really get alone with God and just pour out his heart to him. Now, this can be hard to do when you're in front of other people. 
Some people think that we shouldn't ever show our emotions, that the believers, uh, believers should be very plain, that we should be characterized by always having a pleasant smile that never uh, wavers even if we're dodging attacks on every front. Now, it's true. I think believers should be smiling more because we have plenty of more reasons to be smiling. But you can, you shouldn't smile all the time. Um, some people should smile less, I think. Um, but you can still be joyful and not be happy. It's not as if smiling is the only way that you can show people that you are godly. David is called a man after God's own heart, and trust me, he let his emotions fly. He definitely, I was not there to see it, but I can guarantee he did not smile all the time. In fact, there were probably prolonged seasons of David's life where he never cracked a smile at all. Now, I'm not discouraging people from smiling, but don't feel like you need to smile all the time to show to the world that you are godly. It is okay to show your emotions. In other words, it is okay not to be okay sometimes. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to to struggle, to feel sorrow, to grieve. As we read through Psalm 142, you will see that clearly David was not okay. Now with that, this isn't a license to go and lose your temper and to fly off the handle, but be in control. We may not see David's face here, but you can tell that his soul was in great distress. I want you to notice, first of all, David's discouragement. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3 here in Psalm 142 as we see David's discouragement. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. Now, David's discouragement, it is seen in several ways. And it's first of all seen in that David was disoriented. David was disoriented. Look at verse number three once more. He said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. David is disoriented here. When is the last time your spirit was overwhelmed? I'm not looking for you to give me an actual audible answer, but think about it. When was the last time your spirit was overwhelmed? Maybe it wasn't that long ago. Maybe your spirit is overwhelmed right now. Either way, when your spirit is overwhelmed, you're not going to be thinking clearly. You're not going to have the best judgment. What David describes here in verse 3 is how unstable he feels while his spirit is overwhelmed. He's unable to discern properly as to where he should go, where his next step should be taken, what he should be doing. And, And as a result, life seems to almost be coming at him like an avalanche. David is feeling disoriented as he's being chased by King Saul and his army while simultaneously being surrounded by a large group of people who are also suffering, who are also angry, and they're now looking for David for help. He doesn't know what to do. And even if he did know what to do, he doesn't know what warrants his attention first. What problem does he take on first? When he feels like he's walking the right path, he says he ends up in the trap the enemy has set for him. He says, in the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me? 
He's disoriented. In 1 Samuel 21, which is chapter before the context of Psalm 142. In 1 Samuel 21, David brought all sorts of troubles onto some folks because of a simple decision he made. As he was running from Saul, he came to a place called Nob and met with Ahimelech, the priest. And in a moment of desperation, David lied to Ahimelech to get food and a sword. And as a result, Saul ordered the slaughter of the entire village of Nob. Many of us would have probably done the same or even worse in that situation, but at the same time, David would come to horribly regret this lie. The consequences of these actions were incredibly sad and afterward brought immense heaviness and sorrow to David's heart. I want you to listen to what we read in 1 Samuel 22 and verse number 22. So after Saul has ordered and had the entire city of Nob slaughtered, men, women, children, all of them, David gets word of this. And in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 22, it says, And David said unto Abiathar, who was the one man who escaped, he said, I knew it that day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Abiathar was one of the priests, and his entire house was killed. He was the only one that survived. He escaped and was able to come and tell David that all the priests were killed, as well as everyone in, this city, in the city of Nob. And David is just broken at the news. And he says, I knew that this was going to happen. David made a serious mistake, and the consequences were tragic. He realized that he was responsible for the slaughter of those people, and he is nearly driven insane as he's consumed with the guilt. He is physically and spiritually in a cave of darkness, forced to contemplate the darkness of his own soul. But he can't even do that in solitude because now he's surrounded by 400 other troubled people. Now I have a picture in my mind of what this might have looked like. And David was sitting before these 400 men showed up. In my mind, he's sitting in, near the entrance of the cave all by himself, and probably with his head in his hand, just consumed with guilt, he can't believe what he has brought upon these people. He's quietly reflecting on this mess that he has brought upon himself and the tragedy that he brought upon the people of Nob. He's trying to figure out where things went wrong. What could he have done different? And that's when he hears it. The noise of people approaching. As the people get closer, he realizes that these are not enemies. But they're all upset. And they're all expecting David to do something about their situation. Now, at this point, David probably looks up to God and he says, What now? What now? Lord, I'm already dealing with my own guilt. I'm already dealing with all my own problems. And don't you know this is weighing heavy upon me? What am I supposed to do? For all these people, don't you know where I'm at right now? I am in no place 
to help anyone else out. Lord, I've come here to seek your help because I can barely function with the guilt that is consuming me right now. What am I supposed to do now? I believe he was thinking these things as he's disoriented and just no clue as to what he's going to do. So David's discouragement shows itself in several ways. First, that he was disoriented, but second, that he's also feeling deserted. Look at verse number four here in Psalm 142. He says, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. It doesn't get any worse than that. You understand what he's saying there? He says, I looked on my right hand, beheld, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Was he alone in that cave? No. 400 other men were there. But they all had problems of their own. And they're coming to David to be the one to help them through their problems. And David's already overwhelmed. He's already ridden with guilt. He's already trying to figure out what mess he brought upon people who didn't deserve it. And now he's trying to think, what am I going to do to help these people, let alone to help myself? And he looks around and he says, there's no one to help me. There's no one that even cares about what I'm going through. And they're expecting me to care about what they're going through. I saw someone who several years ago had a t-shirt that said, please, by all means, let me drop my problems to help you with yours. And I look at David and I think, wow, oh, that's not what he's going through right now. He's got so many problems of his own trying to work through these issues that he's brought upon himself and he is now being dumped on with 400 other problems and he feels deserted on top of that. Again, he says, I looked on my right hand, beheld, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. If this is how you feel, you have reached the very bottom. What's interesting is that this is the same David who said in Psalm 16, verse number eight, he said, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He says, because God is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. But notice again what he says here in Psalm 142 and verse 4. He says, I looked on my right hand. Does he see God? No. He says, behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. There was a time in his life where he felt the Lord's presence back in Psalm 16, where he felt the Lord cared for him back in Psalm 16, but he wasn't feeling that here in Psalm 142 as he's deserted while being surrounded by 400 men. When life is going good, he was able to say as he did in Psalm 16, but when life is hitting him with one blow after the next, his soul plunged into a dark cave where he felt completely deserted, even though he was surrounded by 400 people who supported him and made him their captain he was even more convinced that no one cared for him. They cared about what he would do for them, how he would take care of their problems, but they didn't care about him. When he looks to his right hand, even though there are people everywhere, he says, I'm all alone. It seems weird that he would feel all alone while there were 400 other people in that cave with him, but I'm sure you've been in a situation where you have felt all alone in the middle of a crowd. 
Sometimes the larger the crowd, the more intense the feeling of loneliness can be. This is often why you see pockets of despair and isolation in large and populous cities. The cave may have been full of people, but no one knew the depths of David's emotions and no one cared about what he was feeling or how much he was suffering. Some of the saddest words in scripture, I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me, refuge filled me, and no man cared for my soul. Every one of us deals with problems differently. Some of us retreat into spiritual caves seeking that isolation. I'll be honest with you, this is me. This is how I deal with problems. I don't like talking about my problems. I prefer to deal with them inwardly. And I'm not telling you that because that's the answer to solve your problems. I'm telling you that is how I am. Uh, in many ways, I'm like a turtle. I'm like a turtle who pulls his head right, in, right back into the shell when problems come up because I don't want to have to deal with anyone. I want to deal with my problems inwardly, and it comes from a place of not wanting to burden other people, but I end up bringing more harm to myself and just prolonging the problems by not actually talking about it with other people that can help. But I'll keep it to myself to try and work it out on my own. If I ask for help, it is often done reluctantly, and only after I've exhausted every effort of my own and come up short. It is a completely stubborn way to go about it. I will admit that. And I think it is a strong tendency for not just me, but for those of us who God has blessed to be males. Men are this way in general, not every single person. We may not necessarily retreat to a literal cave, but we do this often spiritually. We get quiet, our demeanor changes, because internally, we're trying to come up with a solution to fix the problem and do that so as to not also bother everyone else around us. And at times, we just want to be left alone as we kind of process everything within us by ourselves. At times, it is completely ridiculous how we will act because it's as if no one else has experienced the problem that we're dealing with. And it's brand new to the world, and we're the ones having to face it. And even our wives and the closest people to us will not understand. That's at least what we tell ourselves, what I tell myself. And so they won't be able to help. So we need to internalize it and figure it out on our own. So we bury ourselves in spiritual caves. By the way, my wife loves it when I do this. She's listening in the nursery right now. I know, Ruthie, you love it when I do this. It is a false, it is a misconception that you need to be alone when you're discouraged. The prophet Elijah suffered from this, believing that he needed to be alone, believing that he was alone. The only one, he said, that stands for God. When God had reminded him that there were still 7,000, which may seem like a drop in the bucket considering the entire nation that was pretty much given over to idolatry, but God says there are still 7,000 that are still faithful to him. Problems, though, they bring on isolation. And the isolation convinces us at times that we need to be alone in order to work ourselves through them. So David was feeling disoriented, feeling deserted, but he was also feeling depressed. Look at verse number six here in Psalm 142. 
He says, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Say what you want about depression, but depression is a real problem that even the most mature believers will struggle with. I just mentioned the prophet Elijah, and he was one who suffered with severe depression. If you remember what he went through in 1 Kings 19, he suffered with such immense depression that he got to the point where he actually asked the Lord to end his life. He act, the ironic thing is, he ran for his life from the death threat of Jezebel, and he says, Lord, you end my life. Doesn't really make sense, because he actually ran about 250 miles away from where Jezebel said he was, she was going to kill him. And then he gets to the end of the line, and he says, Lord, just end it here. When you read about the life of Jonah, you read about a man who was severely depressed at what the Lord was doing as well in his life. We read about Moses. Moses experienced his share of depression as well as he had to constantly deal with millions of people who were murmuring and complaining almost at every, every little matter. And then you read through the Psalms and we keep finding Psalm after Psalm where David describes various seasons of depression that he faced. Not that we're going to put these men on pedestals, but these were some seriously mature men spiritually. These men had great wisdom. They were used by God to do tremendous things. And yet each of them, the Bible records, struggled with depression. David describes himself here in verse number six as being brought very low. Not just low, very low, he says. Many who suffer from depression, they look into the future. And the reason that they suffer with depression is as they look into the future, they see no change. So they're in the middle of something right now, and as they're looking to hopefully see something to be optimistic about, there is nothing. Nothing that gives them even a glimmer of hope that things are going to change from what they're in. They see no improvement. They see no sign of clear skies ahead. No sign that the sunshine is going to return. No sign of healing. Nothing but more emptiness and more despair around the horizon. And David felt a depression that could have escalated to the point of desperation. He went from having just one problem that was all his own, which was big enough on its own as he needed to be in the cave of isolation by himself. But now everything was compounded by all the other problems of these 400 men. David was allowing his circumstances to look inward instead of looking outward and most importantly, upward to God. And as a result, he was feeling completely empty. He was tired. He was exhausted. His well had run dry. And there was nowhere for him to turn. He couldn't even sense God's presence in his life anymore. If the pit of despair had a bottom, he was there. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Now notice fourth. And David also felt defeated. Verse number six at the end there, he says, deliver me from my persecutors for they are stronger than I. He felt defeated. Considering all that David was dealing with and all the emotions that he was feeling, this seems like the natural progression. No matter where he looks, everything looks grim. David doesn't see any hope of victory, let alone any hope of escape. It doesn't matter that God has promised and anointed him to be king. It doesn't seem like it's ever gonna happen. He feels like he can see the writing on the wall and it isn't looking good. He's going through the mental checklist 
And everything is falling into the negative side of the column. There is nothing positive that he can cling to. There is nothing that offers him even the slightest bit of optimism. And the more all these negatives continue to stack up, the more illogical he becomes. Even if someone came to him and told him that there was an army of one million soldiers that have come to their aid to ally with him against King Saul, he would have still have found a reason to spin that good news into something that was bad. This depression has broken him down to the point where everything he sees is defeat. He cannot think clearly. He cannot reason logically. He is entirely convinced that he is a dead man walking. And it's only a matter of time until Saul finds him and kills him like he killed the people of Nob. When you look at verse number 7, David details this defeated feeling actually makes it seem as if he is in prison. Notice what it says in verse number seven. He says, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Bring my soul out of prison, he says. It makes sense that he would feel this way. If he feels defeat is certain, defeat is inevitable, he might as well be in prison awaiting execution. We've looked at different ways in which David felt discouraged. But secondly, I want you to see how David defeated that discouragement. How David defeated discouragement. Now, it's clear that discouragement had David feeling defeated, but for the people of God, there is never a pit too deep where God cannot reach us. There's never a cave too dark that God cannot illuminate. But it starts by telling God your problems telling God your problems. He does this in several times throughout this psalm. Look at verse number one first. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. Verse number two, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Verse number five, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. And then verse number six, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. So as much as David is describing his discouraging state, he is doing one thing right here. He is telling God his problems. Perhaps the reason why David was a man after God's own heart was because he was willing to pour out his heart to God. David doesn't beat around the bush. He tells it all. When he wants God to destroy his enemies, he flat out says exactly that. When he feels burdened with guilt, he confesses it all to God. If we took on the challenge to write our own psalms. If we're looking at the psalms as if they're David's journals, and I challenge you to take the next 30 days to journal everything over the course of your life for the next 30 days, <clears throat> would, we find, would we find that the psalms we write, or the journals that we write, rather, would be as revealing and truthful as they are for David? David tells it all here. It's almost at times that he's just airing all his dirty laundry. Prayer should be that for us. Prayer should be us telling God everything. Prayer should be the honest and the complete pouring forth of our souls to God. 
Don't be afraid of calling your problems what they are. Don't try and, and sugarcoat what's really going on. Be honest about it and confess it all. Know that God is listening. Know that God cares. Know that God will respond and know that you can tell him anything at any time. Get rid of the logic that tells you that God is too busy, that God won't care about the small problems in your life or the big problems in your life, whatever it is. If it concerns you, I promise you it concerns your heavenly father. When you find yourself feeling all alone and depressed, be glad that you have a heavenly father whose patience has no limits and whose love cannot be exhausted and whose mercy never ceases. Tell God your problems. And secondly, recognize God's presence in your life. Recognize God's presence in your life. Look at verse number three again. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, notice what he says, then thou knowest my path. Recognize God's presence in your life. As David describes, pouring his heart out to God, pouring out his problems to God, he discovers that God was already at work in his life. He says, then thou knewest my path. You'll never find yourself in a place where God has not first led you and where God is also not there with you. David found a cave to be alone, but God was already there waiting for David to arrive. God knew every feeling that David felt, every bit of guilt he was dealing with, every sorrow that he had. God knows every detail of our lives that he knows exactly what is going to bring us the comfort that we need. Recognize God's presence in your life. And third, realize God's provision. Realize God's provision. Look at verse number five. He says, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Realize God's provision. As David is telling God all his problems, he remembers who he's speaking to, and that is the God of the entire universe. The land of the living refers to right now. What a blessing it is to have God's word help us who are living right now. What a blessing it is to have God's word, which is so relevant and so applicable to the problems that we face every single day. God's word is intended to help every person in every walk of life with all the challenge that we, faith, that we face, both big and small. And then lastly, keep praising God. Keep praising God. Look once more at verse number seven. He says, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. What a roller coaster ride this has been as you read through this psalm. Just seven verses. David was as low as can be, but the psalm ends on a positive note for he's ready to return to praising God. Prayer has a way of reminding you all the reasons that we have to praise God. A lot of people think that they have to be in the right frame of mind to pray, but the truth is that prayer is what helps you get into the right frame of mind. At the beginning of verse number seven, David felt like he was in prison. But by the end of the verse, he says he's ready to praise God. Many scholars believe that the sequel to this psalm, Psalm 142, that the sequel to this is Psalm 57. And as we close, I want you to just look at what it says in Psalm 57. Because I believe that what we see here in Psalm 57 is indeed the follow-up, is the sequel to what Psalm, 4, psalm 142 has to say. Now notice the change in David and how he demonstrates his readiness to praise God again. And it may even have a heading at the top of your, um, your Bibles where it says Psalm 57. Mine says, uh, when David fled from, the, from Saul in the cave. So for several reasons we believe this is the sequel to Psalm 142. And I want to read this through really quickly and notice what it says. He says, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. 
God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. I imagine that as David first wandered into the corner of the cave to be alone and wrote the words of Psalm 142, that eventually he burst forth into singing the words of Psalm 57. Imagine the echo in the cave there as he sung these words, the beautiful melody that filled the cave in those moments. I imagine that the chorus of one quickly became a chorus of 401 as all began singing God's praises. At times you may feel like the walls are closing in because problems just seem to be piling up all around you. But remember that you have a heavenly father who is present with you at all times. Pour out your problems to him. Recognize his presence in your life. Realize the provision that he has given you in his word. And you keep on praising him. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great reminder that we have, Lord, of where we can find victory over our discouragement. May we tell you all our problems, recognize your presence, Lord. Recognize and realize the provisions that you have made and keep on praising you every single day. Life is not going to be easy, but Lord, what a blessing it is to know that you're there with us every step of the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.